Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Well, I'm glad to be up here. I love being able to be with you and always appreciate when Pastor Allen gives me the opportunity to speak. But I'm going to do something dangerous. I'm going to start with something extremely controversial, which is not smart to do at the beginning of a sermon because you have the, the potential to split the audience at the very beginning. Half of you might ignore me for the rest of the night, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to push ahead and I'm going to start it. I'm going to risk this. Here's my admission. I decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving, okay? And I know for some of you, that is a no-no, but I said it. And so if you disagree with your spouse, I just want you to know whichever spouse says before Thanksgiving, I am on their side. <laughs> I, uh, in fact, I tried to get my wife to uh, decorate in October, but she refused. And, you know, I'm working on her, trying to get that Grinch out of her. I'm, hopefully, fingers crossed, next year, before Halloween, tree will be up. That's my goal. I love Christmas. I got to be honest. Ever since I was a kid, I have loved the Christmas season. The music, the, the movies, the lights, everything about the Christmas season, that's my thing. I love this year. And when you're a kid, Christmas is especially magical, right? I mean, there's just nothing like Christmas as a kid. I mean, when you were waiting for Christmas, didn't that 365 days feel like an eternity? I mean, when it was December 26th, it seemed like December 25th would never come again as you just waited and waited and waited. But as a kid, probably one of your biggest fears is that you would wake up, go under the tree and not find anything with your name on it. So that was the nightmare of a kid. And uh, so you always hope that you would see that one thing. As a parent, it's different. The nightmare is, is that when you get your kid's list, the thing at the top of the list is going to be the same toy every other kid in America wants. I mean, did anyone survive the Cabbage Patch craze of 83? <laughs> Somebody, I think I saw someone still shiver. There have been some PTSD about that one. You know, two, two women got into a fist fight in 96 over a Tickle Me Elmo. I see some guilty faces because I can tell at least a couple of you guys have thought about decking somebody in a toy aisle at one point on the holidays. You know, here's the thing. My wife, when she was a kid, she wanted this uh, doll. It was called a cricket doll. It was one of those dolls. It was in the 1980s. You know, they had those toys in the 1980s that you'd put a cassette tape in and they would move their mouths and talk. It was, it was half exciting and half the thing of nightmares. And so she's this, she wanted this talking doll. And so her parents searched everywhere. You know, that's before the Internet, so you couldn't go on Amazon and find it. So they're literally scouring every store in Augusta, Georgia, trying to find this doll. And one night, almost, it was almost Christmas. One night her dad just happened to be in a store. He, he looked up on the top shelf and found the doll. And then they had a little bit of fun with her. They hid it on Christmas. So when she opened all of her presents, she thought she had been that one present she wanted had been forgotten. And then they had her look again. They said, I think I see something. She dug in and found it. It's funny because that's a memory that she still talks about today. It still sticks with her. You know, Christmas is really a time for expectations. And it's something that usually we, we think of good expectations, but... For some people, Christmas can be difficult expectations. 
You know, like if you have a family where maybe you have a kid who has kind of gone sideways, kind of moved on, your, the expectation is, will they come? Can we, can we reconcile? Maybe if your family's not getting along, the expectation is, are we going to have a big blow up this time when we get together? So you're kind of worried. Maybe for some of us, especially this, this year, if you can feel it, the expectation is, is there going to be enough? Because am I going to have enough money to get all the Christmas that I want to do? And when reality doesn't match our expectations, that's when we get disappointed. And the problem we have when we get disappointed is, when we get disappointed, we sometimes begin to blame God. We begin to question if it's actually his fault. Is he the one that should have stepped in and met the expectation I had? Is he the one that should have changed my reality to fix things? And maybe when you feel that way, you're disappointed with God, what happens is you also tend to start to feel alone and forgotten. And maybe you have, maybe I felt that way where something didn't quite go the way I wanted it to go. Something didn't happen. Bad things were going on, difficult times. And I wondered if God actually saw me anymore. I wondered if he had looked away, if he'd forgotten where I was, what I was going through. You know, when there's more money, a month left than money, you got to wonder, is God even aware? Maybe those are the thoughts that go through your mind. And that's difficult. Because the more those thoughts play in your mind, the more you begin to potentially believe those thoughts and it begins to alter how you live, how you think, your Christian walk. So here's the challenge I have for you tonight. For just a moment, I want us to stop, no matter what's going on in your life, to stop and just plant ourselves for just a moment in the Christmas story. Because I actually think the Christmas story tells us a lot about where God is when we feel we've been forgotten. So if you really, though, want to understand the Christmas story, you have to go back a really long time. You see, the Old Testament is really important to understanding what's going on in the New Testament. So if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, just in case you're not familiar, let me set it up. This is the very beginning. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've done the wrong thing. They feel separated from God. And this is how God responds. He makes this promise when he's talking to the snake. He says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now the he in that verse is the Savior, the Savior that God's promising. So at the very moment where people sinned, where things got all out of whack, that very moment God gave a promise to fix it to set things right. And those promises kept going throughout the Old Testament. God made promises to Abraham. He said, Abraham, your whole family is going to be a light to the world. They're going to bless the entire world. He made promises to Abraham's descendants. When, when the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness, he, he made this promise to them in Numbers 24, 17. This was a promise. Uh, Balaam was talking, he said, I see him now, I see him, but not now, I behold him, but not near, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. That was a promise from God that a ruler was going to come out of the Israelites who was going to fix the mess that everybody was in. Another promise. Then God made promises to King David. 
He promised King David of Israel, there's going to be someone come from your family line who's going to rule on this forever. Someone who's going to extend this kingdom forever. He made promises throughout the Old Testament through the prophets. And we see that especially in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, this is one that we hear a lot at Christmas time. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Isaiah writes, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And here we go. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. God promised to make this happen. Again, it's just repeating in different ways the same promise. I'm going to send someone to fix this. You're in a mess. I'm going to send someone. This is going to get better. Isaiah gave another prophecy, another promise in Isaiah 62, 11. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, that's kind of a way of talking to Israel. See your savior comes. Jeremiah, another prophet. He said this in, in Jeremiah 23, 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And that's just a smattering. I mean, I could actually take the entire time that I have just reading the promises that God made to people in the Old Testament of how he was going to fix things, how he was going to set the world right, how he was going to make things that seemed crazy, put them in the right spot so that people could be who God's called them to be. But to really understand this, I want you to think for a moment and put yourself in the position, though, of a person who was living in Israel at the time right before Jesus was born. Now, they had heard all of these promises. They could be, and when they went to the synagogue, they would hear these promises over and over. But then when they looked around them, they saw a very different reality. You see, they had spent them, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, had basically spent the last few hundred years just getting shuffled around between empire to empire. They had been enslaved. They had been impoverished. They had basically, the Jewish people were basically crushed by the wheels of history. The, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, they just sent them all throughout, spread them out, separated them. Everything that they had been, all these things they had read in the promises did not match the reality that they were facing. And if that wasn't bad enough, God wasn't speaking. Well, not in the way he used to. You see, there was, if you go to the end of the Old Testament, there's the book of Malachi. So from that book until the time when the angel Gabriel speaks to Zechariah, there was no prophecy. That's 400 years of God not speaking the way he used to. You know, people still wrote about God. They still thought about God. They still worshiped God, but they just didn't hear from him like the old days. You know, some of the Jewish people, because the expectations were not being met, they turned to things like politi political power, money to help them, to save them. Some tried to start rebellions to save themselves. Some people just retreated into little communes they did that to try to save themselves. 
But whoever it was, no matter whether they were rich or poor, young or old, the one common denominator was they just wondered if God was actually going to come through on what he promised to do. Because the reality didn't match. And that's really the thing about faith. See, faith is like this tension, is found in the tension between our, what we hear from God and what we see around us. That's where faith is at. I mean, if, if what God said is what you saw, you wouldn't need faith, right? Because you're seeing it, you're experiencing it. But when God says something and you see something differently, you need faith to believe what God says. The Jewish people knew the promises, but they saw a Roman soldier standing in right in front of them. They knew the promises that God had given them, that he was going to set everything right, but their life was in turmoil, in shambles. So they kind of understand what we are going through, things that we feel they felt. They had the promise of this coming king, and all they could see was this godless dictator who was in charge of them. Everything that they had hoped for just didn't seem to happen. As the years drug on, that promise seemed more and more and more distant. Like maybe it just wouldn't happen. And then maybe they even wondered, did God care anymore? Did he see me? Did God forget? Those same questions we sometimes ask ourselves. I mean, you can probably identify I can because when the problems pile up, that's when you're forced to make a decision. You can either quit believing what you know from God's word or you can double down on it and hold on to what God's told you. I mean, in my own life, I, this happened several years ago. We moved to a new city. And you know, when you move, every expense imaginable comes up. Like expenses you didn't even know were possible, all of a sudden you're responsible for. So we were going through that where it was just like, Money going out, nothing coming in, and we're just kind of getting a little bit, you, you've been there maybe, where it's like, what's going to happen? And, you know, the Lord's helping us, we're making it through, but then we're getting close to Christmas. And that's when my wife and I started, we started thinking to ourselves, um, what's going to happen this year? Because we're like, there's not really enough there to do Christmas. And we sort of begin to wonder, you know, are we going to be able to do this? Is this going to happen this year? Are we going to have to explain something to our kids? And then the Lord did something that just was so special to remind us that he was with us. He saw us and he was there. We went to um, this Christmas party. We were brand new. I was brand new to the job. Did not even know that they gave Christmas bonuses. And all of a sudden that day, they were like, hey, we're giving Christmas bonuses. And I thought, hey, I didn't know this was happening. Yay. I was super excited. And then they did like a game, and I won a gift card. And let me tell you, a $100 gift card at that moment was a deal breaker for me. It made a break. It made that Christmas. And we rushed out that night, and we actually bought Christmas for our kids with what we had gotten that day. God came through with just enough. And what's interesting is, is my wife and I, Still today, we think back to that, to that day and we remind ourselves about what God did. And the reason we do is because when we currently see problems in front of us and we see things, the reality doesn't match what we've heard from God, what we believe for God, what we've expected from God. And when those things don't match, we go back to that story. 
And it's like, a, it's like a cane. We lean on it. When we're feeling a little bit weak, we lean on that. And we remember, you know what? God did that. God can do it again. What God's promised, he can deliver. And that's what the Jewish people were dealing with. They're like, what is going to happen to us because we're not seeing it? But that's where Christmas comes in. Because Christmas is this celebration of the moment where God stepped into the world to keep a promise he had made a long time ago. That's why we went through those promises, because that's what Christmas is referring to. God is delivering on the promise. He is, he is bringing back and bringing to fruition everything he said he was going to do. You know, it's funny, in, uh, in the Bible, when you read it, the only thing I ever read about God forgetting is our sins. He doesn't forget about you. He doesn't forget about the promises he's made. He doesn't forget about the people he's made promises to. And Christmas is a reminder of that. And that's something that we see in the life of Mary. Because whatever you see in your current situation, it might be extremely difficult, but there is not a circumstance in your life that has the power to prevent God's word from happening. And Mary is a great example when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, she was shocked. I mean, you got to admit, his message was pretty amazing. You're going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And she actually asked, how can this happen? I mean, there were several reasons why it shouldn't be able to happen. And she's like, "Why? how can this happen? And I love what Gabriel said to her. He said in, in Luke 137, for no word from God will ever fail. So put yourself in Mary's shoes. Unmarried, young, probably poor, no power, no prestige. And everything around her pointed to the opposite of what that angel said to her. Again, God's making a promise that doesn't match what she sees. But what I love about Mary is instead of turning away from it, instead of turning to something else, she actually planted herself on that promise and she said, I'm going to do, I'm going to believe in fact, this is how she responded in the next verse, Luke 138. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. That's faith. Unlike, the, unlike these rulers, unlike these leaders that were in Israel at the time, Mary was making a different choice. She wasn't trying to make things happen on her own. She wasn't abandoning what God's promises. She wasn't reinterpreting. She was believing and standing on what God said, even though it seemed too amazing to be true. She believed it could be true. She believed God could actually come through on what he said. In fact, I really like what Martin Luther wrote. Martin Luther was a, a, uh, the reformer of the church in the 15th century. And here's what he said. He said, there are three miracles of the nativity, that God became man, that a virgin conceived, and that Mary believed. And the greatest of these was the last. She believed God's promise. And later, when she visited her cousin Elizabeth, Pastor Allen talked about this story um, of Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah this past Sunday, when she went to visit them, this is what Mary did. She sang a song of praise to God. I want to read this entire Song is from Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one 
has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She praised God. In fact, if you look at Mary's song, most of the content are things that you read in the Old Testament. She's just repeating the promises again, but this time she's saying it's going to happen. I know it. She's staking her life, her reputation, her everything on the fact that God is about to make good on the promises that he's made for years and years and years, for thousands of years. She knew God was doing this. God was ready to step into history and fix this problem he had promised to fix. But here's the cool part. He did it in a way that no one expected. I love the way John describes this moment. It's very succinct. It's in John 1.14. He writes, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That was God's fix. In fact, that phrase, uh, made his dwelling, it can actually be translated uh, pitch his tent or tabernacle among us. It, it was kind of a John's way of, of giving his audience a nod, a, a little bit of a, of a reminder, like you remember when your ancestors, remember when the Jewish people traveled around in the desert and they had a tabernacle and God's presence was with them? That's Jesus. Jesus is God's presence here on earth. God himself has stepped in to fix the problem he promised. That promise for a ruler, that promise for a king, God was referring to himself. He was the one who would fix it. You know, it reminds me of the story Max Lucado told in in one of his books. He has a great way of just explaining things with stories. And I love this one that he told. So one day, Max Lucado said he was in his lazy boy recliner. He heard, and he jumped with a start because he heard this just blood-curdling scream come from his garage. He runs in. His wife is screaming because there is a mouse inside this trash can. He said he's just running around and around and around in the bottom of the trash can because the mouse is as scared as his wife is. So he said, my, uh, so Max Lucado said he, he peered over into the trash can. He said, of course, the figure of a giant human on top of the mouse did not make the mouse any less afraid at that moment. So the mouse is still just running and running and running. So Max Lucado grabbed the, the trash can and he decided to walk over to a uh, empty lot nearby. He was going to release it. He said the whole way he kept telling the mouse, it's going to be okay. It's don't worry, I'm going to let you go. It'll be fine. He said no matter what he said to the mouse, it did not change the mouse's perception of reality. The mouse just kept running and running and running and running and running. And eventually he tipped the the trash can over and he said the mouse just scurried away out into the field. And he said he pretty sure he could hear the mouse calling him names as he left. And it got him thinking. He said, how could I actually have made that mouse feel better in that moment? He's like, the only way he could think of was to grow grow fur, a long tail, beady little eyes, and jump inside the trash can with him, to which he replied, yuck, no thanks. (laughs) 
And that's when it dawned on him that that's exactly what Jesus did to us. That Jesus' trip from heaven to earth was much farther than Max's pretend trip from here to inside the trash can. You see, that's the beauty of Christmas. The beauty of Christmas is the way in which God kept his word. You know, when we sing songs at Christmas, when we read the, the Christmas story, when we celebrate the season, we're not just enjoying another holiday. We're celebrating the moment when God stepped out of heaven and into the trash can of this earth to bring us out of the mess that we created. He knew. Yeah. That is worth celebrating. God promised to help. He knew that promise. He remembered that promise. And he waited for the moment, the perfect moment, when he could show his perfect love through Jesus. There was not a moment in history where God forget, forgot that promise he made to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There was not a moment in history when he forgot Abraham when he forgot Isaac, when he forgot Israel, when he forgot Moses, when he forgot David. There was not a moment when he forgot any of those. He did not forget Mary or Joseph or the people living in Nazareth. And he hasn't forgotten you. Amen. You see, if God loved them enough to keep his word to them 2,000 years ago, and I guarantee he loves you enough to keep his word to you today. To not forget you wherever you sit. N.T. Wright, I love a lot of what he writes. He, he said this. Underneath it all, underneath it all is a celebration of God. God has taken the initiative. God, the Lord, the Savior, the powerful one, the holy one, the merciful one, the faithful one. God is the ultimate reason to celebrate. I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Every promise that God has made, every promise that you read has been confirmed by Jesus. When he came, when he lived, when he acted, when he spoke, every one of those things confirmed that God's word is true. And he made every promise come to reality. Every single promise. There's not a one that God forgot. There's not a one that Jesus didn't, didn't um, fulfill. All, Paul said all of God's promises are yes. And if all of God's promises are yes in Jesus, that has not changed. Those promises are still at work in you. Those promises are still available to you. The joy of Christmas, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because God is a God of kept promises. Because God will always do what his word says. So that brings us to where we are right now. See, we had to travel back to understand where they were so that we could come back and understand where we are. In the 21st century, thousands of miles away and thousands of years later, what does Christmas say to us? Because that's what we want to do. We want to understand what God said to them, but we also want to know what God says to us. What does that Christmas story mean for us sitting here in Conroe, Texas? Is, it, is Christmas just a time to gather together and celebrate traditions, to meet with family, be festive, eat lots of food, 
pass around presents? Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. I think it teaches us something, something very deep about our lives right now. You know, history is not just about information. In fact, when Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote, he said to people, he said, look, the things that were written beforehand, they were written for you so that you could learn, so that you could know, so that you could grow in knowledge. That's, the, that's why we read those things that have happened before, because it teaches us about our life today. See, if all of God's promises are yes in Jesus, then that means that all of those promises apply to us. Because God's nature doesn't change. We read in the Bible, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he kept his promises to them 2,000 years ago, then we know he can keep his promises to us today. And in a year from now, whatever you're going through, God is going to keep his promise to you then. And 20 years from now, God is going to keep his promise to you then. And 50 years from now, God is still going to be keeping promises to all of us because his nature doesn't change. He is the same God who kept his promise at Christmas and he keeps his promise to us. He's the God who hasn't forgotten. He sees you where you are. I mean, think about it. With Mary and Joseph, he plucked them out of poverty. He plucked them out of obscurity and he made them part of his promise. There's not a person in here that God does not see, does not know, and does not have a plan for. You're not forgotten, but to fight those feelings, we have to acknowledge what God's done. We have to recognize what Christmas means, that God has kept his promise. And then, I think one step further is, I think Mary's a really good example for us of what to do next. Whenever you're feeling forgotten, whenever you're feeling a little disappointed, a little unsure of what God's doing, praise God. Speak praises. In fact, there's a term... We may not use it a lot here, but there's a term that uh, they call Mary's song, the Magnificat. It's a Latin term. It basically means to magnify or to glorify. And that's what Mary did in that moment. She magnified God. She glorified him because he kept his promise. And so whenever we're dealing with difficult things and, and we're dealing with disappointments and we're seeing a reality that doesn't match what we know to be true, that's the moment where we don't start complaining. We don't start bemoaning but we begin to praise because here's the thing you can't praise and complain at the same time you can't grumble and pray and say thank you at the same time it's literally impossible we actually had the kids and our kids one day do that we tried to get them to do it to teach them that you can't do those things in fact I thought about Psalm 100 and this is what it says shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. We give thanks and we praise God at Christmas because his faithfulness continues. The faithfulness that he showed Mary and Joseph and the people in that day is the same faithfulness that's shown to us. It's the same reason we have to celebrate. We give thanks because God is the one who's working in us. Praise is the great redirector of emotions, of attitudes, and of thoughts. It reminds me of that song. Uh, I love Christmas carols. 
And there's one, a classic called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It was actually based on a poem by uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And he was really one of the most famous poets of his day, but he had dealt with a lot of tragedy. His, his um, wife had died, and a couple years later, his son was injured in the Civil War and nearly paralyzed, and he spent months nursing him back to health. And it was on Christmas Day in 1863, he sat down and he penned the words to this poem. And I love what it says. It says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the world words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. This December is the perfect time for you to celebrate this one very important truth, this phrase that you got to get inside of you. I promise this is the phrase you need to say every single day. The Lord is helping us. This December, this Christmas is the perfect time to reiterate that. The Lord is helping us. How do we know that? Because the Lord helped them. Because the Lord kept his word to them. And because he'll keep his word to us. It doesn't matter what the news says. It doesn't matter what your friend says. It doesn't matter what your friend's Facebook post says. What matters is what God's word says. His word is the word that will never, as Gabriel said, his word will never fail. The truth of Christmas is just as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. God is helping them. God helped them and he's helping us. So I want you to let let that truth lead you this Christmas. And like Mary, celebrate that God keeps his promises. I mean, just imagine for a moment the life, how your life would be if you wake up every day and instead of examining your circumstances and allowing that to dictate what you say and do and think, you allow God's promise to be the dictator of your life, to lead you and believe it regardless of what you see. And it's not a a foolish thing to believe because we've seen him keep his word time and again. Let's bow our heads. You know, one of the things about Christmas is that it's also a reminder that we very much need a Savior because we could not get out of that mess of that trash can without him. He's the one that pulls us out and makes us whole. So if you're here tonight and you've never said yes to Jesus, yes, I want you to be the leader of my life to forgive me of my sins, what better time to do it than at Christmas time? So with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask if you would like to pray that prayer tonight or pray that prayer to come back to the Lord, just raise your hand. Just real quick, we're not going to make you stand up or come to the front or anything. Thank you so much. Anyone else, just raise your hand if you would just quickly right there. Thanks so much. And we're going to pray this prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone to pray along with us. Just because we don't want anyone to feel singled out. And even if you didn't raise your hand, if you mean this prayer with your heart, it's true. Repeat after me. Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. 
I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. And I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. For just a moment, I'm gonna pray for everybody. Lord, I pray for all of us during this Christmas season that no matter what we're facing or what we're going through, that we would all remember that you are a God who keeps his promises and that you are with us and that your word is true. In spite of anything we see, in spite of anything we experience, your word is true. Help us to remember that, to live by that, and to walk boldly in faith this Christmas, believing that your word will be done. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.